The following sermon was preached at Tower View Baptist Church. We are a gospel-centered, relationship-driven church that exists to know, grow in, share, and serve Jesus Christ. We do all this for the glory of God. For more about us, please check out our website at www.towerviewkc.com. Well, good morning, Tower View, and all others who are watching. Appreciate you being here this morning. Or if you're watching this recorded at a later time, I appreciate you whatever time you're watching this. This is for Sunday, September 13th, 2020. We're going to go through the Bible study. We're in the book of Isaiah. We're going to be in chapter 6 today. And so I appreciate you coming. I'm a pastor... Associate Pastor Nelson at Tower View Baptist Church in Kansas City, Missouri. Um, we are at the corner of Northeast 50th Street and Randolph Road, right in front of the Worlds of Fun Water Tower. And you can see it's from Interstate 35. So that's where we are. You can check us out on our website. If you can't come by physically, you can check our website at towerviewkc.com. You can call the church. You can text the church on our, our phone line. It's 816-368-1330. All that stuff will be in the comment section in a little bit. So I appreciate you watching. I appreciate you listening this morning. If you can, we will have uh, in-person services this morning at 1030 a.m. here at the church. You can come in and stay in your car. We have drive-in service. You turn to 90.7 FM and you can listen to the entire service. Um, I say the pastor, we have a guest pastor today, but he will be preaching and will be preaching from the back of a pickup truck. And so you can watch that. The music team is inside. You can also bring a lawn chair and sit outside and listen to the service. And we do have some inside, but you have to make prior reservations. So, um, so if you want to do that in the future, uh, you can do that. So I appreciate you all watching. appreciate you all listening this morning as we prepare to study God's Word. Let's open with a word of prayer. Lord God, we just thank you and praise you for the blessings that you've given us, Lord. We thank you that we can take a few minutes this morning and read your Word and talk about your Word and, and, and worship you through the reading of your Word, Lord, and the study of your Word. Help us to change our hearts and change our minds if we've been Christians for if we became a Christian yesterday or if we've been Christians for decades. And Lord, if anyone is watching that has not ever turned their life over to you, I pray that this um, time will be a time that they can do that, Lord, that you will work through the Holy Spirit, through their heart and through their minds, Lord, to bring them to you. You are the mighty God, Lord. We just pray all these things in Jesus' holy name. Amen. So thank you for watching. Thank you for listening. Good morning, Shirley. I see you there in the comments. So I'm trying to do better reading the comments as I'm going. I, I do a little bit better now. Um, but this morning's lesson, we are in Isaiah chapter 6. Last week we started in a, a new study in the book of Isaiah and we are in chapter 1. We are skipping ahead to chapter 6, not that saying that the, verses, or the chapters in between are immaterial because they're not. They are prophecies there that are valid. Um, in, in the scripture, he um, talks about judgment against Israel. There's a specifically a judgment against the women of Jerusalem. 
But in chapter 4, chapter 4 is a chapter about a future glory. It says, on that day, the branch of the Lord will be beautiful and glorious. And it's a future promise. And the branch, and that's, that's a, uh, a picture of Jesus in the future. So they didn't know the name Jesus, but he is called the branch. Um, and he will grow. And we, we see that picture today when he talks about a stump. And stumps aren't necessarily dead. If you cut a tree down and there's a stump left, that doesn't mean the tree is dead. The tree can still regrow. And so we, we have these word pictures. There's, in chapter 5, there is a parable about a vineyard. And it's similar to the parable that Jesus spoke of, about, of a vineyard in, in the Gospels. And God talks about he, how he set up a vineyard, yet the servants of the vineyard were evil and didn't do what they're supposed to, and the vineyard did not produce any grapes. And he talks about the judgment against that vineyard. And then we get to chapter 6. And this is, and this is, seems kind of unusual because if you read Jeremiah, if you read Ezekiel, you see the call of Ezekiel, you see the call of Jeremiah in chapter 1 at the beginning of the book. We don't see that call to Isaiah until what we call, now call chapter 6. Why is that? We don't know. Did he start preaching before he was called? Assuming everything is in chronological order, which we can't assume that. It may or may not be. Um, or is this... Oh, yeah, I guess I had to put this in here as, as they were writing it out. I don't know what, you know what the reason it is that's in chapter 6, but here it is. And so that's what we're reading over today. Uh, good morning, Judy. Good morning, Cindy. Darren is there. So w welcome and thank you for all watching and listening. And so as we continue with our lesson, we're going to start in chapter 6. And we're going to, read the, we're going to go through the whole chapter this morning. And you think, oh my God, we're going through a whole chapter? There's only 13 verses. But in chapter 6, it says, In the year that King Uzziah died... And, and we stop when you go there, who's King Uzziah? Well, you can read, I'm not going to read it today, but make a note. King Uzziah, you can read about him in 2 Kings chapter 15. And there he's called Azariah. He seemed to have two names. Or you can read about him in 2 Chronicles chapter 26. And so all these kings, and I mentioned it last week in one one. You can read about them in 2 Kings and 2 Chronicles. These kings are not mysterious kings. We know about these kings. We know the history around these kings. Some of the kings only have a few verses about them. Others, like King Hezekiah, there's many chapters about him. And so King Uzziah was a king who started off well. He became a king when he was only 16 years old. And it says that he, he was a godly king. He followed God. But then later in life, he didn't follow God so well. In fact, he thought he became one of the priests. And so he went to the temple. And he went inside the temple, which was forbidden. Only the priests are allowed to go inside the temple. And he went in the temple, and he was offering incense to the Lord. And that was one of the things the priests did is every day is, is uh, set up incense inside the temple. Well, the king thought he could do that. And when the priests confronted the king, as they should, even though he's the king, the priest said, no, this isn't your duty. You are not a priest. The king raised his arm 
in anger against them. And when he did that, he got leprosy. And so he didn't end so well. And he had to, he had to leave Jerusalem and, and, and live out in, the, out in a cottage somewhere out of town in seclusion. And so king so that king died. And so this is where this uh prophecy this um account in Isaiah continues is that it was the year that king Uzziah died. So we we can know from history exact pretty much when that was. And it says in the in the year that king Uzziah died, I saw the Lord seated on a high and lofty throne and the hem of his robe filled the temple. So here's Isaiah, and he sees this vision. Now, is he just dreaming? Is he sitting in his house, and God has just given him a vision, or did he physically get taken somewhere? It doesn't say specifically. But even if this is just a vision, it is a very vivid vision, much more than just a daydream. And so he saw the Lord seated on the... Seated on a high and lofty throne. So he was on a throne somewhere. Seated up high. But it says there, in the hem of his robe filled the temple. So God's throne is not in a palace. It was in the temple. God's throne is in the temple. Now was this the temple in Jerusalem? And at this time, this would still have been Solomon's temple. It had not been destroyed yet. So was this Solomon's temple? Or was this a heavenly temple? We know from Hebrews that the earthly temple was just a shadow of the things in heaven. I tend to think it's more of a heavenly temple. That's where this vision is happening. It says the hem of his robe filled the temple. That, to me, is hard to just kind of picture. How does the edge of his robe just go all around the temple? Um, But it's just a sign and a picture of the power of God and his presence in the temple. It's everywhere. So God's presence fills the temple. In in verse 2, Isaiah chapter 6, verse 2, Seraphim were standing above him. Seraphim. That's not a word that we we use every day. Uh, But if you look it up on the internet, you can find seraphim. Seraphim are in TV shows and movies and and video games. Um, You see creatures called seraphim. It's probably where we get the idea of what angels should be because it describes them having wings. But um, they are not people that became angels. They are their own creatures that God has. And there's more than one. Seraphim. Um, if you have the NIV, it says seraphs. It's, it's a plural word, but it doesn't tell us how many are there. There's at least two. It's plural. Probably more. And it says seraphim were standing above him so not beside him they were up above the lord and they were standing it says each had six wings with two they covered their face with two they covered their feet and with two they flew i'm not going to spiritualize all those wings and what they're all doing because really we don't have any reason to but out of humbleness in the presence of god they covered their feet and they covered their face in the Near East in this time period, sometimes servants would come in and they would keep their faces covered and would not look at the king when they were in the room with the king. They would not raise their eyes. So this idea is not a foreign idea. And so God uses that imagery, 
because of the humbleness of these creatures, they don't look at God. They are humble. They cover their feet. They cover their face. But yet they still have another set of wings so they can still fly. And so if you go through literature, you can look up things. Jewish, Jewish had a whole scheme of the hierarchy of angelic beings that we, we find in Scripture. I, I don't get too worried about that. We, we, God has given us glimpses of the angelic realm, of the spiritual realm, but they're only glimpses. And try to deduce too much is just not edifying. It's not helpful. And so we just, you know, thank you. We just thank God that this is here and we get this picture and this glimpse of what we have of a heavenly realm, but that's all it is. It's just a glimpse. And then these angels, they call to one another. It doesn't say they're singing, but they're calling to one another. And, and they're speaking these words. Um, I, I tried to say this word the other day, and I can't, I can't say the word. But anyways, it's, it's, it's a speaking of the words um, and not singing. And they say, holy, holy, holy is the Lord of armies. His glory fills the whole earth. And so they are glorifying God in heaven. And when they do it, they say, holy, holy, holy. And the reason they do that is Hebrew doesn't have the, the superlative in an EST or ER. And so when they want to signify how how much you know an adjective and describe somebody they just repeat the adjective sometimes it's only twice and with god they often do it three times and so we see the holy 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 here we see that in other places in scripture also that god is holy is the lord of armies if you have the king james it'll say lord of hosts um, if you have the niv it says lord almighty and the lord of hosts you think, well, why would they say armies instead of host? Host, you know, armies sound so, you know, military. Well, at the time the King James was written, that's what a host meant. A host was an army. And so the king would have a host, and he would go up against another king's hosts, and they would battle. And so that what that's what the Lord of hosts literally means, is the Lord of armies. It's just new, different terminology. And so the the... The Christian Standard Bible, they just translated literally what it is. It's the Lord of hosts. In God's glory, it's not just in the temple. It's not just in heaven. It's not just at church. The Lord's presence, the Lord's glory fills the earth. All of it. And so like this morning, if you're outside, there was a, a heavy dew last night here in Kansas City. The grass is all wet. All the cars are wet. And so there was a heavy dew. And you could look at that as like God's presence just covering the land. Like the dew. The God's sunshine that's shining. It's a clear blue sky. And God is shining on Kansas City this morning. That's God's glory filling the earth. And God's glory fills the earth when it rains. God's glory fills the earth in the storm. God's presence is everywhere. You cannot go and hide from God. We know that from Psalms 139. You cannot hide from God. There is no cave too deep that you can hide from God. In the same vein, there is no place that God can lose you. Because God's presence, God's glory fills the earth.
And when these angels spoke, when these seraphims, I should say seraphim, angels as described in the Bible seems to be a different creature than the seraphim. But they're angelic beings, they're spiritual beings. In verse 4, when they spoke in Isaiah chapter 4, or chapter 6, verse 4, it says, The foundations of the doorways shook at the sound of their voices, and the temple was filled with smoke. The foundations shook like an earthquake, or like a thunderstorm. Um, that the th- foundation shakes when the thunder hits, and it just shakes the whole house. I've, I've never been in an earthquake, so I don't know what that feels like. I'm, I'm not looking to be in one, so I'm okay with that. I know when a thunderstorm is coming. I can see, look out the window and see thunderstorm weather. I don't know when earthquake weather is. I haven't figured that one out yet. And so the foundation, so the door, and it's not just the, you know, if there's an earthquake, they say to stand in the doorway because that's the strongest part of, of, of the room you're in, the building you're in. It says the foundations shook. Not just the windows rattled a little bit. The foundation shook. That's the, the strength of their voice, the seraphim. It also has to do with the strength of their message. It shook the whole house. And it was filled with smoke. And often in Scripture, smoke is a sign of God's presence. Incense is a sign of God's presence. It's also a sign of the prayers of the people. And so... Because it's just invasive. And smoke fills the whole room. It goes in every nook and cranny. And so once again, it's just that idea that God is everywhere. God is everywhere. You can't turn your back on God because God can still see you. Verse 5. Isaiah finally speaks in this presence. Isaiah finally has a response and has something to say. In verse 5 it says, Then I said... Woe is me, for I am ruined, because I am a man of unclean lips, and live among a people of unclean lips, because my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of armies. And he said, woe. And assuming that this is chronological, in chapter 5, he uses the word woe. In chapter 5, verse 8, he goes, Woe to those who add house to house and join field to field until there is no more. You and you alone are left in the land. He says, woe to those who, who build a fortune. In verse 11, chapter 5, verse 11, it says, Woe to those who rise early in the morning in the pursuit of beer, who linger into the evening inflamed by wine. And he's pronouncing judgment on the people of Israel, the people he lives with. He says he's among, he lives among a people of unclean lips. In verse 18, he says, Woe! To those who drag iniquity with cords of deceit and pull sin along with cart ropes. In verse 20, he says, Woe to those who call evil good and good evil, who substitute darkness for light and light for darkness, who substitute bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. Verse 21, Woe to those who consider themselves wise and judge themselves clever. Verse 22, Woe to those who are heroes of, at drinking wine and are champions at pouring beer. And so he just had, had a sermon where he pronounced woe onto the people for their actions and their attitudes. And now here Isaiah is in heaven and he's going, woe is me. He's pronouncing judgment on himself. Woe is me for I am ruined 
because he has unclean lips. And all over and over again, Scripture talks about unclean lips. You know, the words that we say. The disciples asked Jesus about unclean foods in, in uh, Matthew chapter 15. And, um, and Jesus said, it's not what you eat that makes you unclean. It's the words that come out of your mouth that make you unclean because they come from your heart. And so Isaiah gets to the heart of the matter real quick here. He says, I am unclean. And he doesn't make excuses. And I come from a people of unclean lips. We're all guilty. And I am just as guilty as everyone else. And why? Why did he get this realization? He says, because I have seen the king, the Lord of armies. Even Moses didn't get to see God. God had to cover his eyes and they only got to see Moses, God's backside. But for some reason, uh, Isaiah got to see God. And so some people think, well, maybe that's why this is a vision. And it's not real. I don't know. He doesn't describe, no one here do we really get a description of what God looks like. Nowhere in Scripture do we get that. We get you know, you know, some ideas of his presence, but it doesn't describe what God looks like. In Revelation, we get descriptions of what Jesus looks like. And so here's Isaiah. He sees this great and wonderful and awesome scene. And his reaction is not, wow, God, thank you for letting me come here. Just, this is amazing. I feel so blessed that I can be here. No, his reaction is like, I'm undone. I'm ruined. I'm going to die because I'm a sinner in the presence of holiness. And he's not wrong. But God takes care of him. In verse 6, Then one of the seraphim flew to, flew to me, and in his hand was a glowing coal that he had taken from the altar with tongs. So we know that in... in the earthly temple, there was an altar where they burnt the sacrifices, or a portion of the sacrifices. It usually sat just outside the temple. It was in the, in the courtyard just outside the doors of the temple. Inside there was a fire, but that was the fire they used for the incense, to burn incense, which represented the prayers of the people. But here, the altar apparently is inside, it's close by. And, and, and one of these seraphim used tongs and picked up a coal and took it to Isaiah and touched his lips. Now, I cook with charcoal sometimes. And please don't take one of those charcoal out and touch me with it. They're hot. I don't want that. But here in this heavenly realm, things are different. And that doing that act didn't burn him and cause him pain and agony. It healed him. And it didn't heal him physically. In verse 7 it says, He touched my mouth with it and said, Now this, now that this has touched your lips, your iniquity is removed and your sin is atoned for. And so God reached out to Isaiah through the seraphim using this picture of the coal and touched his lips, which as Isaiah just said, I have unclean lips. He could have just as easily said, I have an unclean heart. 
He could have just used, he said, I have unclean bowels and guts. He chose lips. It represented his sin because his words were evil. And the this angel, the seraphim, touched him and it said that his iniquity is removed. His sins are atoned for. Oh, to have our sins atoned for. Our sins removed. Our guiltiness removed. And if you are a Christian, if you have been saved by Christ, you have put your faith in Christ, your sins are atoned for. And so you don't have to punish yourself anymore. Now, does that mean we will never sin again? Unfortunately, no. We keep sinning. We need to keep confessing. We need to keep repenting. But there's that first time. That first time, that repentance that atones for our sin for eternity. That God has done something. And I say it in the terms of, you know, we have to confess. We have to come to Christ. But yet in this sin, it doesn't say that... um, Isaiah repented. It says he confessed, obviously. He says, I'm a man of unclean lips. But what did it, who, who did the atoning? God did. Through the seraphim in this case. He said, your sins are atoned for. He didn't say, because you came here or because you confessed to me that your sins are, he said, he just said, your sins are atoned for. God did it. God is in the work of forgiveness. And so God did it. God atoned him, atoned for his sins. God saved him. The forgiveness is from God. And so then finally God speaks. Actually, we come through here. The only we had the seraphim speaking. We had Isaiah. Now the seraphim spoke again. And now God finally speaks. In chapter six, we're in Isaiah chapter six this morning. And we're in verse eight now. And God finally speaks. He said, Then I heard the voice of the Lord asking, Who shall I send? Who will go for us? Now, as you read that, you know, if you're a grammar Nazi, you go, Wait a minute. He used two different pronouns. Whom should I send? Who will go for us? I is singular. That means there's just one, and we, you know, there's just one God. But then he says, Who will go for us? Like the royal we, like a king or a queen will say, you know, use the word us. But this is God. He's not vain. He doesn't need to do the royal we. But this is only the third time in the Old Testament that we see God using this verse, using this term us. We see it in Genesis chapter 1 in creation. When he created the man and he created humans, male and female. And he used the word us. He says, let us make man in our image. He did it in Genesis chapter 11. When he saw the people building an altar or a building or a tower to reach God because of their arrogance. And he said, let us go down and confuse their language. And then here, he says, who will go for us? And so we see the Trinity here. It doesn't say 
how many. It just says that the God is more than one. Not that there's multiple gods. That's not what we believe. There's God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. They're each their own entity, but yet they are one. They are united. They are one being in God. And that's not really revealed in the Old Testament. The periodic talks about the Spirit of the Lord or the Spirit of God going out into the world and being on a person. But we don't get that term and, 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 the, and the, the, the specifics of the Holy Spirit in the Old Testament. And we have things like in Isaiah where it talks about the branch and, and other places where it looks like there's God is, is more in a human form. Like it's a pre-incarnate Jesus maybe. But it's not defined, and, and not all theologians agree that that's what's happening. But yet there is there is something happening. But yet we don't we don't see that human side of of God until we get to the New Testament in Jesus. So here is God saying, "Who will go for us?" And Isaiah replies, "He goes, oh 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 oh, send me, send me, please, please, God, please, God, send me." He goes, here am I, send me. And, and often this chapter in, in the lesson plan is, is it's a call for missions, a call for action, for us to be missionaries, our call for us to go out, and it is. But this, this scripture is also a, a call to worship for God, that we see the holiness of God. It's a call for repentance in our hearts, that God is holy and we are not. And that we need to worship him for his holiness, not for our righteousness. And that God is the source of salvation. And then the last part of this chapter is God giving Isaiah his message and motivating him to go out. And I don't think he read any books by Bill Hybels or, or, or any other seeker-sensitive people. He didn't read any he didn't use Joel Olstein's method for growing a church. Because if God used this to motivate me, I would be like, really? Why? So he says, here's what I want you to go tell the people. This is God's reply in verse 9. And he replied, go, say to these people, keep listening, but do not understand. Keep looking, but do not perceive. Make the minds of these people dull, deafen their ears and blind their eyes. Otherwise they might see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their minds and turn back and be healed. I like to teach. But if I thought that I'm teaching so you, so you wouldn't learn, if I thought you, even, that you weren't learning, that you were just there and you were yawning and you were not paying attention, um, what's the point of teaching? What's the point of teaching to a class of people who won't listen to you? And if you give them homework, they won't do it. And if you give them a test, they're all going to flunk. Um, if you ask them a question, they can't answer it. And that's what God said. That you're going to have to teach people who won't listen. You're teaching people who don't want to see what you're talking about. They don't want to understand. They don't want, you know, a preacher preaching and nobody's going to repent. That's not a motivational speaking. Is that God, you, you need to work on your motivational speaking here. But I think he's, he's setting up Isaiah for reality 
is that he said, Isaiah, these people aren't going to listen to you. They're not going to, they're not going to listen. But preach anyways. And you think about it. Isaiah was preaching to the people of his day around 700 B.C. But he's also preaching to us today because we have his words. He's been preaching to people since 700 B.C. Because they saved his words and he kept preaching to the people of Israel up until the time of Jesus. Jesus read Isaiah's words when he went to the synagogues. He spoke the words of Isaiah. The, the apostles, the disciples, and the early Christians read Isaiah. And they, and they preached Jesus through the book of Isaiah because they didn't have the New Testament yet. It was still being written. And so Isaiah it never stopped preaching. And so God wanted these words written down. So he's telling Isaiah, the people you're preaching to right now aren't listening. But God knew that those of us later would read and listen. And so Isaiah hears this, and he goes, well, okay, God. Verse 11, he says, Then I said, until when, Lord? How long do I have to preach this? To you know, How long? You know, Nobody wants to preach to a class of people who don't listen. He goes, how long do I need to do this, God? You know, I don't really want to do that very long. That's not very exciting. And God's answer didn't help the situation any. He says, this is how I want you to preach. I want you to preach until, verse 11, until cities lie in ruins, without inhabitants. Houses are without people. The land is ruined and desolate, and the Lord drives the people far away, leaving great emptiness in the land. Well, that's not very exciting. So I want you want me to go preach to people who won't listen. And you want me to preach until they're dead or captured. You know, think about it. You know, if that's what God asked me to do here in Kansas City and preach and, and nobody at church is going to listen to me, they're all going to ignore me, and you want me to preach until they die because of some great catastrophe. Well, that's not very exciting. I don't want to see all these people die in, in misery and, and, and all our, our city ruined and destroyed. Who would want to do that? But this was what God asked Isaiah to do. And Isaiah saw the destruction of the northern kingdom of Israel during his lifetime. The southern kingdom of Judah survived for a while longer, past the time of Isaiah, but the northern kingdom was destroyed and they were exiled. And so that's what God asked him to do. He says, preach and knowing that people aren't going to listen to you. And preach until there's nobody left to preach to, literally. Until they're all gone. Because they're dead. Or captured and taken away. And so, and you see a lot, if you read through Isaiah's sermons, he talks about the destruction of Israel. You go back to chapter 3, and he talks about the daughters of Zion. He's talking about the women and how they were beautiful, and they had, you know, they did up their hair, and they had makeup, and they had jewelry. They even had ankle uh, bracelets that uh, jingled as they walked. And he said, they're going to be stripped. 
Their clothes are going to be ripped off. Their, their, their ankle bracelets are going to be gone. Their nose rings are going to be ripped out. And they're going to get their heads shaved bald. And instead of perfume, they're going to be a stench. And so he has to preach this, which it doesn't sound like a very motivational sermon either. But that's what God calls Isaiah to do in his time and his place. But God gives hope. So all this so far is like, okay, what's the whole point of this, God? I mean, this is... But God always, as you read through the prophets in the Old Testament, whether it's Isaiah or Nahum or Zechariah, and there's lots of gloom and doom, but find the hope. Sometimes it's only a verse. Sometimes it's a chapter. And Isaiah has, like in this chapter, there is a verse of hope. Okay? And, and there's whole chapters in Isaiah that are of hope. In verse 13, chapter, Isaiah chapter 6, verse 13, it says, Though a tenth will remain in the land, it will be burned again. Like the terebinth or the oak that leaves a stump when felled, the holy seed is the stump. So God says there is a remnant. There is a tenth that will remain. One tenth of the people will remain in the land and be faithful. And even though the country is destroyed, there's still a stump. And that stump is still alive. And that stump will regrow. It says the holy seed is the stump. And the holy seed is a reference you know, to the, the people of God and maybe more specifically to Jesus. In Genesis chapter 3, after uh, Adam and Eve have uh, failed by disobeying God, God is pronouncing his judgment on them and on the serpent and on the earth. And um, he says, he's talking, and he's specifically talking to the woman. He says, I'll put a hostility between you and the woman. And that's the serpent. Actually, God's talking to the serpent. I will put a hostility between you, the serpent, and the woman, between your offspring and her offspring, and he will strike your head and you will strike his heel. And so there's a seed. It's referencing to a, you know, a seed. The prophecy talks about a seed often in Scripture. And that's the seed of the future. The seed of Israel. And in here, the holy seed, that would be Jesus Christ, referring to that he is going to regrow. Even though Israel is destroyed, hope is not gone. God is still there. God did not leave. Even though the city was destroyed, God's presence did not end. He is not like the fickle gods of the world. His presence does not end. And so, um, I'm just seeing if I missed anything in my notes here. Um, we see this seed. We see this, that God gives us hope. God has a promise for us. And so all through this, Isaiah says, well, I am undone. I'm ruined because I'm, I'm a sinner. I'm a terrible, awful sinner in the presence of holiness. And God atoned for his sins and spared him. God sent a message of gloom and doom because he wanted the people to repent, but he knew they wouldn't repent. 
But for Isaiah and for the few people that were believers, there is a hope. He provided a hope. And so as you read through Isaiah, I pray that you read through the chapters that we don't actually cover on Sunday morning. That as you read through these chapters, you look for that message of hope inside the gloom and doom. Find those messages of hope, those messages of promise for the future. At the same time, you find that Isaiah uses a lot of word pictures. And read those. Some of them are kind of funny. The word pictures he uses to describe the people's useless actions and trying to follow their own ways instead of following God. And so we see here, we see the commissioning of Isaiah to go out, his message that is given. And it is a call for us to go out. You know, some may call to be a pastor may call to be a missionary. He may just be calling you just to talk to your neighbor across the fence. He may be calling you just to talk to one of your relatives or one of your co-workers. Whatever it is, it's still God's call. And know that God's promise of salvation through Jesus Christ began, you know, it existed in the time of Isaiah. Yes, didn't know about Jesus then, but God atoned for Isaiah's sins. And the sacrificial system was a picture of that atonement. It was a work of faith for people to go and offer those sacrifices to atone for their sins, not knowing exactly how it worked. But God is still working, and it's still a message of faith. And so I pray as you go through this, that you will see God's message as you worship this morning. I pray that you will sing no matter where you are, even if you're in your, if you're here at drive-in church and you're in your car alone, that you will sing. If you're sitting outside in the grass, I pray that you will sing. If you're sitting at home and, and you watch uh, the service or parts of the service at home on your computer or on your TV or on your phone, I pray that you will sing. And so I thank you for watching. I thank you for listening. Let's have a, a word of prayer. Lord God, I just thank you for these words that you, you provided for us. To see your holiness. And to see our unholiness. Yet you atone for our sin. Yet forgiveness comes from you. Help us to worship you for who you really are. And our thanksgiving for sending Jesus to die for us. And help us to carry your message to others, to a lost and fallen world, even though most will not listen. But you just call us on a, on a way of faithfulness to share that message. You are the mighty God, Lord. We just pray all this in Jesus' holy name. Amen. So I thank you for watching and thank you for listening. Um, I see there Robert and Linda and Jackie and Lori. So I appreciate you all for watching and my scroll. There we go. Um, and, and listening this morning. I'm, once again, I'm Pastor Nelson, at, Associate Pastor at Tower View Baptist Church in Kansas City, Missouri. Um, we'd love to see you this morning. Our service is at 1030 a.m. if you can be in the area. The uh, sermon this morning will not be posted this morning uh, because we have a guest preacher. We couldn't pre-record it. And he's preaching outside, so we can't Facebook Live it because it's outside. We don't have the, uh, the capabilities to do that technology-wise. 
So his, his sermon uh, will be will be up later, probably tomorrow at at the earliest. Could be this this evening. Um, that we will, and it'll be an audio only. We're going to audio record his sermon. Um, so it, it will eventually be up. So we we thank you for. Like I said, watching. Thank you for listening. Check out our if if you're visiting and you don't know anything about us, check out our website at towerviewkc.com. You will see past week's sermons, past week's uh, Sunday school lessons there. Uh, we're also on YouTube. Um, so, and, you know, and, and then our phone number. You see it in, in the comments there. It's eight one six three six eight one three three zero. So thank you for watching. Thank you for listening. Have a blessed day. Thank you and God bless.